Good morning. Is everyone doing okay? It's a, it's a good day to be in the house of worship. Um, my name is Rob Lewis. I am the teaching pastor at the Calvary campus. And uh, yeah, and so it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to fill the pulpit in the Owasso campus. Uh, pastor Chris is actually at the Calvary campus this morning, so we've switched places. And um, I am always, always honored to be here and to be among you. Um, I, I, here's a shameless plug. Anytime you want to come hang out in Calvary, I would love that too. But I like coming over here. It's great. I love the Owasso campus. Uh, this is where I grew up. This is where my wife grew up. So we've got our roots here. Um, we've been enjoying ministry for a little over a year and a half at the Calvary campus now. And, and um, we're going to continue our study this morning. And it feels a little weird because I preach uh, at Calvary. And then you, 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 get, you get on a roll and you're ready to you know, go to the next passage. And then we've got to switch. And so I have no idea what Chris told you last week. <laughs> And so hopefully our lines are on the same path. But we were talking earlier this week, and he goes, you know what, I feel the same thing. I want to finish that thought with, with the Owasso campus. And I said, I know, I want to finish this thought with the Calvary campus. But at the end of the day, it's all God's word. And so hopefully um, I won't contradict anything that he said last week. Hopefully I'm, I'm uh, continuing the thought here and, and doing uh, justice to what you guys have been studying at this campus. But we're going to start chapter 4 of the book of Philippians this morning. So if you have your word with you, which I hope you do, Go ahead and turn there, and we're going to focus on verses 1 through 9 this morning. And the idea is is that this sets up not only the close of the book of Philippians, but we would head into that very important passage and very famous passage, uh, Philippians 4.13, which we will talk about next week. Uh, but sometimes that, that passage gets yanked out of context. And, and under, in order to understand that, that whole idea of godly contentment and being able to do all things through Christ, you first must get this, which is the preceding verses which we're going to unpack this morning. And this passage, Paul is, is giving some really good insight into the peace of God. And so the doctrine I want to defend this morning is that the peace of God is the gospel lived out in spiritual discipline. Now, that's not to say that, uh, you know, moralism, that, that somehow you perform to get the peace of God. You've got to be disciplined to get the peace of God. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. What I want to show, what I think is coming from the scriptures, is the idea that, one, we have peace with God through the gospel, and we'll talk about that. But that isn't the end of the story. Paul uh, tells us that there's some things that we can do that naturally leads to the peace of God. And those spiritual disciplines I want to highlight this morning. So the three spiritual disciplines, you can write them off to the side if you would like. Uh, the three disciplines that I want to explore this morning are meditation, prayer, and modeling. There's many other spiritual disciplines that we could talk about, but I think Paul addresses these three specifically. So meditation, prayer, and modeling. And uh, the three stops that we'll make this morning, we'll take a look at personal peace, we'll take a look at corporate peace, and then we'll take a look at cultivating peace. So personal peace, corporate peace, and then cultivating peace. And so when we start to think about peace, in, in contrasting it with anxiety, uh, I, I love what Paul, uh, excuse me, um, Pastor Chad did this morning in setting up that idea. What is giving you anxiety this morning? Well, think about it from the perspective of when you've known peace, what was going on? And, and I can't help but in my life to think back uh, on the times when I was a child and, you know, that perfect Saturday morning where you don't have anything to worry about. 
that to me is like, that's peace. You can just let your mind be free. You can go play. You can, you just, there's nothing to really worry about. As long as you're in a good home, you've got a good family, those Saturday mornings, to me, you're the furthest away from Monday. For me, that was, what, that was important, right, because I hated going back to school. So Saturday morning was like, I'm the furthest away from Monday morning, uh, and I can just enjoy this. And the idea is, though, is as we become adults, there, there's all sorts of more, uh, responsibilities and things that we have to wrestle with, think about, stress out over. And especially in the American culture, we've got tons of things competing for our emotional energy. Uh, and it gets harder and harder to see the true peace of God. And I'll tell you what, there's some things that we can do that will really hurt us. Uh, and, and, and so when we are experiencing anxiety, that anxiety can even take over those beautiful moments of rest. You can go on vacation, you can have a beautiful weekend, but maybe Monday's haunting you, right? You're already letting Monday ruin today. Or last week, something had happened. Or as a believer, you've got some sins in your life that are messing with you. So we're going to explore all of those ideas, but I want to prep our thoughts real quick with this idea from J.I. Packer. And he says this, he says, three keys to meaningful prayer. One, clear realization of the reality of God, continual practice of the presence of God, and a constant endeavor to please God. And I think this idea is, is fitting for us to start with this morning as we get into our word and get into the scripture. But there's an idea here that Paul will also pull out, and it has to do with this clear realization of the presence of God. Is God near? And I love what Packer says that we should continually practice the presence of God. So you have a reality of, the, of God, but then continually practicing the presence of God. What in the world does that mean? Well, I think Paul will help us unpack this idea this morning as we get into our, our text. So if you will stand with me, we will read our passage and begin this morning. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Yodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So we see a few ideas here that are really important, and I love what Paul does with this passage. He starts out with this idea. He says, therefore, my brothers... 
whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And I think it's important for us to note the way that he starts this, because he starts this with a tender care, a tender heart towards these people, this church in Philippi, who he's written this letter to. And I think that it's also important for us to see that God has the same view of us, that he loves us. And when we start to talk about anxiety, we start to think about the things that are, are getting at us, We have to ask a couple of questions. So as we go into this first concept of personal peace, we have to first talk about what is anxiety and what are fears and where do they come from and how are they to be viewed as a Christian? So I would argue that the things that we're anxious about are the things that probably are good things. They're probably good things that God has given us. And usually when we become anxious, it's because we care a lot about these things. If you don't care about it, you're like, who cares? I'm, there's no worry. There's nothing in me that is getting upset about it. But what happens is the good things that we have in life are the things that we care about. And the things that we care about are the things that become anxious things, right? The things we become anxious about. And we have fears then that follow. And there's this relationship between the things we care about and the things we love and our response to them. But here's something I think is really important to get. As Christians, it's different for us than the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world has anxieties. The rest of the world has things that they care about too. But you know who who it's up to? It's up to them to see those things through. How is it different for a Christian? For a Christian, it's not up to us to see these things through. And so what we have to ask ourselves is the things that we love, the things that we are anxious about, maybe those are the things that we want to control, but we also have to look that the things that we care about, the cares, can be a good indication or a good sign of the things that we are practicing distrust towards God. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Maybe I'm anxious because I don't actually trust God. And so the idea, I love that Paul starts with this, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my, my beloved. We also are loved by God. Paul is saying, I have this love for you, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But we would do well to recognize that God has our best interest in mind. And any time we start to doubt that, anxiety will start to fester. Anxiety will start to come up. Because in those things that we care about, in those things that we are anxious over, we ought to recognize that there may be in them a practiced distrust of God. We don't trust that he actually has our best interest in mind. And therefore, what do we do? We feel like we've got to get control of it. We feel like we're the ones who have to drive this. We have to see this through. And what do we start to do? We start to manipulate things. We start to set things up to end up the way we would like them to be. And boy, is that a, is that a vicious cycle. And as Christians, we're told to do something else besides try to control it, manipulate it. But that's the first idea we have to wrestle with is what is anxiety and our fears and how might they be a sign of our distrust towards God? And so then we move in though, we start to look at some other things here. Uh, Paul uh, lays out some very beautiful things and, and I want to unpack them. But one of the things I think we also have to think about as we get going here when we're talking about personal peace, we have these anxieties, but you know it's also very, very, very likely that we have personal sins that we've got to address. And all throughout Scripture, not in this passage explicitly, but all throughout Scripture we see a biblical principle 
that sin leads to anxiety. If you sin, habitually sinning, willful sin leads to problems. It leads to all sorts of problems. And so, you know, we can really become future predictors here. You can, you can actually tell yourself, am I about to entertain or have I been entertaining some sin that I need to be repentant of? And if I'm entertaining this, I wonder what will happen in the future. We don't have to think very hard about what will happen in the future. If you're living in sin, you will have anxiety in your life. Because you're naturally distrusting God in those things. Most of the time when we sin, it's because we're trying to get something that's good in an illegitimate way, in an illegitimate amount, or in the illegitimate time. It's the wrong way, the wrong motive, the wrong time. And that is also a natural distrust of God, of saying, I would like to do this. You know what the devil likes us to do? He likes us to distrust God. He says, you know what? God is trying to withhold something good from you. And so when we sin, a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to get something good. Either it's in an illegitimate form, motivation, or time. But we're falling for the devil's trap in that. But I'll promise you this. A biblical concept is personal peace cannot be achieved while we're living in sin. So I just want to throw that out there right there as we get going with this. But that's where we have to look at this beautiful idea of personal gospel experience. In the book of Romans, Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God because we have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So you don't get personal peace just through spiritual disciplines alone. So my preface as I close this here to get into this actual passage, we have to look at spiritual disciplines but never leave behind the gospel. The gospel is the very first thing that gives us the peace of God. And that's why the major doctrine I formed here this morning is that the peace of God is the gospel lived out in spiritual discipline. So let's talk about this here. He says in verse 2, he says, I entreat Iodia and, and entreat uh, Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I like to just say, Emily and Samantha, get along. Think about that, 21st century. I, I, don't, I don't know these girls' names. These aren't popular girls' names. So I'm just going to throw Emily and Samantha in there. And I'm not saying that you would read the scripture that way. But in my mind, I'm like, Emily and Samantha, Get along. Agree in the Lord. And so we talk about this idea of of corporate peace and disputes threaten corporate peace. And Paul is saying this. I entreat you, right? I'm telling you, consider this. Do this to agree in the Lord. And he's not saying just agree at all costs. Peace can be gained in illegitimate ways. There are certain times where we have to say, you know what? We're going to have to stand our ground here. We're going to have to fight. So peace is something that we should strive for, but we shouldn't strive for peace at all costs. Some peace isn't worth it. And what I mean by that is if there has to be a compromise on the Bible, if there has to be a compromise in our Christian faith and our commitment to the Lord, that is a peace that's not worth having. You have to fight sometimes. But what he says, he doesn't say peace at all costs. He says agree in the Lord. And the concept is is to have the like-mindedness of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? What is the goal of Christ? And in that, let that inform the way in which you agree with one another. And so what we have to look at is uh, that disputes are, are something that are going to come up all the time in our, in our corporate uh, environments. But you know, a sign of maturity for the church is what types of disputes we're having and how frequent they are and how we handle them. Think about that. What types of disputes are we having? How frequent are they? And how are we handling them? You can tell a lot about a local congregation by answering those three questions. If we're bickering and fighting over very, very second and third tertiary issues, it may be a sign that we are spiritually immature. 
Let that burn. Let that hit you. Because what we have to do is we have to say, what is worth disputing? What would Jesus have us fight over? (laughs) And he wouldn't have us fight over some of these preference-based things. Would he? No. Let me answer that simple. No. But there are things that are worth fighting over, but that's what we have to look at. Preference and pride. Preference and pride come in, and they're always there tempting us to fight with one another, and those will always be a threat towards corporate peace. But I'll tell you what. There will be no corporate peace if there's no personal peace. You as a believer, me as a believer, if I'm not experiencing peace with God, if I'm not dealing with my own personal sins, if I'm not uh, just reminding myself of the gospel grace that I have received because I'm messed up, if I'm not living in that heart and attitude and gratefulness, there's no way that I'm going to come to the corporate body and bring peace. So your private peace informs your corporate peace. So we as believers must be striving for private peace, personal peace with one-on-one God relationship stuff that then helps us bring that peace to the congregation. So we'll always have to look at pride and preferences. They're always going to be threats. Disputes will always be there. But how should we handle them? Paul says, agree in the Lord. And he says that these are people who belong to the Lord. He says, side by side, they have labored with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Check this out. Whose names are in the book of life. These are believers. These aren't just people out there fighting over nothing. These are believers in this congregation, and he is saying, you must agree in the Lord. And so this is the idea of unity in Christ, to seek peace. And one of the the most important things that we've got to look at here is in line with this biblical concept is that the world will know us by our love. And they will know us by our love for one another. You ever stop to thought about that? Hey, we can share the gospel all day long. We can do evangelism. We can do apologetics. Those are all really, really good things, and I am all for every one of them. But I'll tell you what, the way that we are treating one another is part of that witness. The scripture says they will know us by our love. And if we are not demonstrating that, we lose influence. We lose the ability to speak into people's lives. Because they're looking at us and they're saying, you're supposed to serve a God of peace, And all you guys do is chop each other down, fight each other. I hear word that when one of you stumbles and sins, instead of according to, no, um, hypothetically, a non-believer. Hopefully they know Galatians 6, but they probably wouldn't. Uh, The idea that those who are spiritual among you must restore those who have fallen in a spirit of gentleness. But we don't do that very well, do we? What do we do? We hear that someone has fallen into sin, and what do we do? Ooh, blood in the water, time to eat. And we kill each other. We chop each other up. We've got, I mean, I'm not, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I am, I am in the same boat. It is so easy for us as insecure believers to say, hey, let me pounce on someone else who's struggling. Maybe that'll distract away from my own struggles. But we can't do that. We must be known by our love for one another. And that glorifies God when we love one another. When we agree in the Lord, that also is part of our our witness in the community. He goes on, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I love this idea. He's saying practice this thankfulness that when we start to talk about uh, when we have uh, this joy 
is, is that, that we are we're continuing to practice thankfulness in great joy demonstrated. And so we'll be known by our love, but we'll also be known in how joyful we are. You can love someone and not have joy, and that is kind of a weird place to be. But we need to think about how both of these work together. And if you're continually practicing this, having joy and rejoicing the Lord, there's so much power in that. But he goes on, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And the idea here is is, is that we should be known by our our moderation. Are we moderate? Are Are we not quick to run to extremes? Are we charitably judging one another? And this is that idea that the people are going to look at us. Are we unreasonable? No, we should be known as reasonable people. We should be known as reasonable to everyone. So when we start to cultivate peace, we have to look at agreement. We have to be reasonable. We have to be moderate. We have to avoid extremes. And we must realize that God is near. So when we want to agree, which is part of cultivating peace, we've got to agree because God is not far off. And so picture yourself having these disputes with one another and God is sitting right there with you because he is. Would that change anything? Have you ever had a fight with your spouse and if, 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 if let me just put it in my, spot, my, my own position. I like to think about this. If I'm going to have a fight, which we don't ever, if we ever fight, what, what, would I change it if, if Vicky and Rex were in the room watching it? Probably. Well, Isn't the Lord with us always? Are we going to dispute among one another and forget that the Lord is near? How how wrong-minded of us to do that. And so he is saying that. He says, says, "Let, let reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Then he goes on, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so this idea is that we have agreement. We agree in the Lord. Then we practice this joy. We rejoice. And that's those first two stops. But then we start to talk about uh, prayer and meditation, knowing that God is near. So the, the idea here is that we should pray about everything. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's interesting because he, he switches this, okay? He says, uh, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You see, thanksgiving comes before requests. In, in our world, the way we like to think of it is, is, I'll thank you when I see it's done. Right? Don't bill me before the work's done. Sometimes, you know, it's like when we, we see our kids and they'll, 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 they'll do something and they'll say, you're welcome. And you're like, welcome for what? You haven't done anything yet. <laughs> the idea is that we preface our request with thanksgiving. We stop and we say, God, thank you for what you've already done. And thank you for what you're about to do. Because you know what? I know that you're going to work things for my good and for your glory. Don't ever forget that. When we pray, when we bring things to God in prayer and supplication, we are doing just that. We're saying, I don't know what to do with this, but I know you do. And you know what? I remind myself of these two truths. One, you're working for my good. You have my good in mind. Two, you will be glorified in this. And the things that are bringing us anxiety, the things that we care most about, do you know that God cares about those things too? 
Now, maybe he wants us to think about them in a different light. Maybe some of those things have become an idol. Maybe we're, we're anxious about our jobs and we're putting too much of our self-worth, too much of our hope in our jobs. And God's going to say, let me crush that a little bit for you. Because that's not where your hope should be. Now maybe we're saying, my kids, my kids are my hope. If, if I lost my children, life wouldn't be worth living. So God, don't take my kids from me. Maybe God will challenge you. I'm not saying he'll take your children from you, but maybe he'll challenge you in that. That perhaps you have too much of your identity tied up in your family. Too much of your hope tied up in, in your family. And God will say to you, I want you to love me more than anything else. And those are the hard words of Jesus Christ. He says, unless you hate your family. And we're like, no, you can't really mean that, Jesus. You don't really mean that. But what he's saying is, by contrast, for the love that you have for me, you hate. What? But the idea is that God will bring us closer and closer to him so that we start to see, as Paul has said just a little bit earlier, he says, I count everything as loss compared to knowing Jesus and being found in him. Can you, can I honestly say that before God? If I lost everything, my job, my health, my family, my fortune, my whatever, if I lost all of it, would I still be content in knowing you and being found in you? That's, that's, that's countercultural. That's countercultural 21st century Christianity. But that is exactly what the scripture tells us to do. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to enjoy things. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to be successful in our businesses. Doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have good families, to invest in these good relationships, to have good friendships, to have good health. These inputs lead to outputs. There's good in doing good. And when we look at these spiritual disciplines, God isn't saying, I want you to neglect all the good things in your life. What he's saying is, I want you to see them in light of me. Filter them through your love for me first. May you love me most of all. May you hope in me most of all. And when we start to do that, that's when we start to get this idea of this peace of God that transcends or surpasses all understanding of this. He says this, verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Think about this. I want you to think about being you know, in this very, very dangerous territory. Maybe you're over, uh, you know, we've got to pray for this because we're sending people over to, to Israel right now. But there's all sorts of problems. There's all sorts of wars. There's crazy stuff going on. But imagine you're sleeping along that fence, along that Syrian border. Imagine that. You're sleeping there tonight. Would you feel comfortable? Or would you feel a little anxiety? Sleep with one eye open, Right? But now picture if you had a little distance from that line and you were in a camp and all around you are the best of the best, the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, all these, all these specialized, forces, specialized forces, would you sleep a little bit better? When Scripture's telling us this, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We've got to realize that we are guarded by God. He is guarding our hearts and our minds. And we've got to rest in that. And anxiety happens when we feel like we've got to do it. Peace of God comes when we recognize he's doing it. 
that he's the one guarding us. But what he says here, he moves on, he says, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, here's the word, think about these things. So I said the three disciplines I want us to focus on are meditation, prayer, and modeling. Talked a little bit about prayer. I want to talk about meditation, so I'm going backwards a little bit here. But when we meditate, we're putting something in front of our minds. We're focusing on it. And I believe that that should influence our prayers. What does it mean to think? You know what the culture does today? The culture says today, if you're feeling anxious, what you need to do is you need to clear your mind. Go take a break. Go take a vacation. You got negative thoughts? Stop thinking about it. Just clear your mind. You know what the scripture tells us to do? Don't clear your mind. Focus your mind. Do you see that difference? It's not that we ought not to think. It's that we ought to think well. And what should we think on? The things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely. Christians, we ought to think. We are thinking people. And when we start to look at the culture that says, hey, you know what, you want peace? Clear your mind. Don't think about anything. Got to get that zen. Got to get that clearing space. It is not the right way to do it. Let me tell you something. If you've got something that you're anxious about, you probably need to pay attention to it. And so let me, let me just give you an analogy. If, uh, if your house is on fire, do you just go out in the front yard and think, think water thoughts? There's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. Clear my mind of fire. No. You think about what's actually happening and what needs to happen. So too, anytime we face any other anxiety in our life, the answer isn't to go, nothing's wrong, everything's good, peace. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to say, what's the problem, what's the source, how am I praying about it, how am I addressing it, and how am I thinking correctly about this? Think So meditate means to put it before your mind, focus on it, pray for clarity, and then what should we do? We should model. We should talk about modeling because it's not enough to have this cerebral, intellectual, whatever, and not have it put in action. So Paul says, here's some things you got to do. You've got to agree in the Lord. You've got to practice thanksgiving and rejoicing. You've got to pray. Right, Bring everything to the Lord in prayer and supplication and the peace of God will come. You know, guard your heart and mind. But then he says meditate, think. Put these things in front of your mind. Think about them. Let them inform you. But then he goes on. Uh, take a look at this. He says uh, in 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here's a verb here. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see that clause there? You do something and you get something. Remember I started this with, it's not just spiritual disciplines that give us the peace of God. The gospel is what gives us the peace of God. God revealed himself to us first. But from that, we ought to practice spiritual disciplines because Paul says when we practice certain things, the God of peace will be with us. So as we close this morning, I want you to think on these things. I want you to think about Christian peace. It's it's this inner calm. It's a sense of God's presence. 
and it, it, is, it is this almost reason-transcending sense of his protection. It's a sense of his goodness towards you. So as, as we close this morning, I want you to bring these things before the Lord. I want you to think through what it means to have personal peace, what it means to let that personal peace as you have a passionate love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're dealing with all your own personal junk. What that means to bring that peace to the community and to fight for corporate peace and what it means to practice spiritual discipline in seeing God continually to be with you, to continually bless you with his peace which can't be explained by human reason alone. So let's stand as we close. We're in a time of high anxiety. We're in a time where there's a lot to be stressed out about. There's a lot to worry about. You know, my family lives in Houston, Texas. Actually, they live in Santa Fe where the, where the shootings just happened. And my dad called me this morning and he says, hey, you know, we're leading worship at church this morning and we're changing the set because um, some of the students who were killed at Santa Fe High School are members of our church. And they're dealing with that right now. Like that's a reality for them. But there's, there's anxiety, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things all over. And I want us to end this morning by moving. First off, I'm gonna tell you straight, if you don't know Jesus, you you will never know true peace. And there's nothing I can do to make you have that relationship with him. That's between you and the Lord. I absolutely believe that God seeks you. He will hunt you down and he'll do something in your heart. But you respond to that. So I'm telling you this morning, the only way to have peace is to know God to benefit from his gospel. But then for the believers in this room, are you denying the gospel? Are you living in unrepentant sin? Are you holding grudges? Or are you trying to control things for yourself?